Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. This morning we are in for a treat. Uh, we have uh, a panel and we're going to introduce them. May I ask Bernard, Tracy, and Dr. Samu to please come. Let's give them a round of applause. As I introduce them, I want to start by saying, I'm sure you are aware that uh, this church is not about CVs because there's so many influential people in this church, you never know who you're sitting next to. Just pray for them, bless them, because you never know, they may just be doing amazing things for God in the world. And Dr. Samu sitting here, she's a medical doctor by training. But she didn't just stop there. She felt like, man, people talk about being passionate about education. She went ahead and had three master's degrees, master's in public health. She's got an MBA, and then also she's got a master's in finance. And uh, she's... <laughs> I should have told them that I'm going to embarrass them. Uh, so Dr. Samu currently is an executive director of FP2030, which is a global organization that empowers women. You'll hear some of the stories of just amazing things that she gets to do around the world. One of the things I love about her, she's a woman of prayer. She always joins the 6 a.m. revival prayer, no matter where she is in the world. She's joined us in the, from the U.S., from the U.K., from Malaysia. She's always praying. Amen. And this morning she was meant to be in Nepal, but this, this appointment was more important than Nepal. Thank you for being here, Dr. Samu. Tracy started playing tennis when she was 10 years old. And she was, she was working towards winning the Wimbledon. She got a scholarship to do tennis in America. I'm telling you, like, you can see the vision was so clear. Unfortunately, due to an injury, she couldn't get to her dream. But God had other dreams for her. Tracy is a woman of influence, and you'll hear the testimony just now. Uh, having worked in different corporate companies in South Africa in communications, uh, she ended up joining the mining world where she met Bernard. The rest is history. <laughs> Together with Bernard, uh, they've worked at Harmony. Uh, for those of you who may not know, uh, Bernard is an engineer, uh, like most of us, but... Uh, Saw the light, uh, and uh, Bernard was the CEO of Harmony for about 12 years, four months to be specific as an engineer, and uh, they went ahead to start other companies. The one that is really making an impact is called Thinkspiration, where they help companies in leadership, strategy, and storytelling. We, as the leadership of Every Nation Rosebank, we've done two workshops with them, and they've really helped us to do what we do and do it well. So I'm going to use one of uh, Tracy's favorite statements. You're probably thinking right now, why is it so hot? We are trying hard to fix uh, the substation on the corner here because every time we run the aircons, the substation trips. So we have even gone to the point of offering COJ, we will buy you the right material so that the substation doesn't have to trip when we run the aircon. So please pray with us that they will see our request favorably so we can help be part of changing the nation of South Africa. Let's welcome our panelists this morning. Uh, thank you, Pastor Sai. My name is Bernard Swanepoel, um, and when we decided how to do this session, I offered to do this in my Trevor Noah impersonation shape. <laughs> I had a similar, uh, similar response from the two ladies, and they said, please don't. Um, and I know why, because I grew up in Rustenburg, and the first English conversation of my life was as a 17 or 18 year old boy getting to the mines, they taught me English. That should not be used in public. So I am gonna say as little as possible, as to not embarrass, especially the front row of pastors. 
I'm going to let the ladies who can speak do the speaking. So, Pastor, um, uh, but of course I couldn't be Trevor Noah, so they suggested I should be that other person. Oprah, Oprah. I've heard of Oprah. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have heard of Oprah. She's apparently famous. But what I like about Oprah is she gives a book away. Uh, apparently she runs a book club. So the Swanables are going to eat Nando's at the end. If you guys go to the back and buy the book, it's not for us. It's for the church. Uh, Tracy has made some books available. If you found, find what she says, something you would like to read about, this is her second book, so it's good. The first one was obviously her first try, and I mean... <laughs> 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 but I can endorse the second one. Um, so, Pastor, Sai kicked this series of many moons ago. You remember, we spoke about miracles, the miracle of water into wine. I haven't yet been at a wedding where that has happened. I live in hope, where the good wine comes out at the end, and there's no hangover. I'm sure there was no hangover at the end of that wine. Um, and then we've unpacked this, and um, Pastor Dorian spoke about how sometimes these miracles take time. It's like over 200 years, there's miraculous progress. We're going to see some of that. Um, and last week, we had workplace testimonies of people who prayed to God when a door closed, an amazing other door opened, and we're continuing with that theme. So all three of us are called into the workplace. And that's the only place we can share from. So when Pastor Dorian said we have to anchor this conversation in Haggai, I went, what the heck is Haggai? Where is that in the Bible? So guys, go to the start of the New Testament and go backwards a few pages, you'll find Haggai. It is there. It is really there. So where the heck is Haggai? We've answered that. We know where Haggai is. And Haggai, I think... If I look at my Bible of 20 years of having an English Bible since Trace and I joined this congregation, I've, only once, I've got only one sermon captured in Haggai. I think it's a missed opportunity, Pastor Sai. I think there are hundreds of sermons in Haggai. Yeah. <laughs> so we will be um, talking briefly because, if I pick it up, thank you. Um, Everybody hopes that uh, um, it has. So, in. Oh, going. Thank you. So, the signet ring is the title of this uh, conversation God's signet ring. We're going to unpack Haggai briefly, just for context. We're just going to give you the context of how did Zerubbabel, 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 one of those guys, no? Zerubbabel, yeah, whatever way you've, Zerubbabel, how did he get blessed in the end of the book of Haggai? So we're going to unpack that, because I think that would be a blessing we would want in our lives. What is a signet ring? Obviously, I had to look it up. And that definition is a signet ring bore the mark of its owner and was used as a symbol of authority and custodian of the owner's resources. Now, who of us don't want to be God's signet ring? That sounds powerful. That sounds something we should aspire to do. So let's quickly unpack the, the context and the history um, This didn't happen in the first service, so it's obviously me pressing incorrectly. Next slide, please. Ah, there we go. So, when you go and read um, the book of Haggai, put some time aside, because you read it and you wonder, and then you read it again, and then you take another translation, and then you find out But the book of Haggai is actually just a little chapter separate from the book of Ezra, where there's a long history and there's the whole context. But it's important because 50 years prior, or many years prior, uh, the Jews were taken to Babylon. 
so they went into exile. Then a, a group, some 50 years later, were allowed to come back. They were allowed to come back through godly intervention with kings, which were not necessarily um, you know, uh, believers, but they were allowed to come back to prepare the way for the new Jerusalem, for the temple to be rebuilt. They got there, they started, and then they got distracted. I don't know what exactly, according to uh, Ezra, they had lots of opposition from the local people, there were issues, and they got distracted, and they also got distracted by rather building their own lives and their own careers, they forgot what they were there for. I'm not making any point, but sometimes I think we as a nation can ask ourselves, are we distracted? Did we, for, did we forget God's good plan for this nation? It's the city of Joburg. Are we busy building the temple or are we busy making money, building careers, etc.? So it's very interesting. And context is, is so important. If I open my phone and I look at, that was Tracy's book. It's now for free. That one's for free, huh? Um, if, I, if I open my phone, oh, pass the side. That's unnecessary. Thank you. Oh. So, context. So, 5th of March. Let's talk about the 5th of March. What happened in the history of the 5th of March? There was the Boston Massacre. Comes up top because obviously uh, the website is American based or focused. The Boston mass Massacre resulted in people being killed, and that was a direct cause of American Revolution. You can scroll through and pick the points that are relevant to you. I like Winston, Winston Churchill's writings. I'm not a fan of everything he did, but he popularized the term Iron Curtain today, and so we carry on, and there are some amazing things. But when we talk about miracles, can I give you a significant context? What happened three years ago to today? Our first COVID case was identified. Guys, three years. What have we gone through as people, as a city, as a nation? And we'll unpack that. So the context is very important. And I think uh, the, the context of Haggai uh, is what we're going to focus on. So Haggai prophesies to the people of Jerusalem. They just returned a few years earlier. They were not doing what they had to do. And so Haggai was sent with a few messages straight from God. These are my messages I get when I go through this, so please, uh, if you read Haggai, you will find so much uh, more to it. But Haggai was sent to reprimand the Jews. It's a time for you yourselves is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses whilst this house remains a ruin? So 18 years, these people did not do what God sent them to do. They started, they got distracted, they got discouraged, and they didn't quite give up, but they sort of, <laughs> yeah, we all have been distracted in our lives. Agai was sent to, to challenge this challenge is in Haggai 1 verse 5 and 7. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. I almost wish I could wake up every morning with God's voice in my head. Give careful thought to your ways. It's, it really is something I think we should calibrate for continuously. Then... Zerubbabel and the people listened and they started. And this is, this is a nice timeline. Within a few days they did this. Within a few days they did that. And as they got started, God sent Haggai to uh, encourage. He sent, he sent and, and it's in uh, Haggai 2 verse 4, very specifically, be strong, Zerubbabel. Now Zerubbabel is the government. So God speaks to the government. President Cyril, be strong. Be strong, Joshua. God speaks to the church, Pastor Sai. So God's now spoken to President Cyril and Pastor Sai. But then 
he goes on to say, be strong, all of you, the people. Now, that's us. There's no more hiding. We can't say, oh, that's the president, he must fix the country, that's the pastor, he must fix the church, all of us. And, uh, and be strong, it's fantastic. We must be God-filled, we, uh, we must be resilient. But the next verse, the next part of the verse speaks to me as an activator. Because Agai goes on to say, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. So guys, we cannot think or preach God's house into being. Eh? We actually have to get out there and we have to be there where things need to be built. So I implore us all to also get out and do the things and work for I am with you there's some really good news that I'm halfway through so in conclusion as Pastor Sai would sometimes say I'm halfway through <laughs> so Zerubbabel listened the people listened and then there was a, the blessing and this is the blessing which takes us to where we're going to pick up the conversation my servant, I will make you like my signature ring, for I have chosen you. That is the blessing we are aspiring. That's the blessing that came from obedience. This is not transactional, but because Zerubbabel was obedient, he did what he was reminded to do, he was nuts to do again, he did that and he got the ultimate, ultimate blessing that we all um, aspire to. So for the conversation and the, and the testimonies, this brings us to a key question, I suppose. Is are we out there building God's temple or are we just building our own homes, careers, and fortunes? Guys, can I ask that again of myself? Can I ask the question again for myself? Are we out there building God's temple or are we just building our own homes, our careers, and our fortunes? But how do we do that? So the answer is obvious. We should be out there building God's kingdom. Now Haggai 2, verse 15 to 19. I know you're all going to read Haggai. Eh? The people online, go now. You can read on the side. We won't see. When you fetch your coffee, get the Bible. Read Haggai 2, verse 15 to 19. This illustrates the importance of making God's purpose for your life top priority. It's actually spelt out there. So without priorities, it is very difficult to live with any sense of purpose or to accomplish much. So we must have priorities. But Haggai teaches us that our priorities must be aligned with God's purpose for our lives. So this is where all these modern teachings of fantastic management principles, leadership principles... Is biblical, deeply biblical. And that's why Tracy can write a, a leadership book which says not a single thing in this book which is inconsistent with biblical principles. Not a single thing. So uh, good news is we get to hear from the ladies. I've done one minute better than in the first sermon. I had 24 minutes for them in the first sermon and they took it all. Now we've got 26 minutes, so ladies, there's fantastic opportunity to hear from you. I want us to start off, Tracy, if I may, and I want to ask both of you the same question to kick off. Is, tell us what you do, on top of what Pastor Science introduced, but then importantly, why did you choose to do that? So we are here in the how does what you do, your purpose, align with God's calling for you. Trace. Thank you. Um, afternoon, everyone. It's great to be, yeah, it is afternoon, just afternoon. It's tough to find myself between like the Oprah wannabe and the overachieving doctor. So <laughs> be kind, okay? <laughs> so, you know, one of my worst questions is when someone asks me, what do you do? I wish I had this like snappy, crisp one-liner. I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm an engineer. I'm none of those things. Um, so about 15 years ago, I started Thinkspiration, 
as Pastor Sai mentioned. Um, we're a, a consultancy. Bernard partners with me in that. And we work and operate in the strategy, culture, and leadership space, transforming or helping to transform companies and the people in them um, using the power of visual stories and oral stories. The real work underneath that um, is actually we operate a lot in the mining industry, in the resources sector. So, so the real work um, that happens underneath that or as part of that is to partner with God to transform the very predominant leadership paradigm, which is still now very militaristic, very command and control, very inhumane, actually, to transform that to, to a word that I actually never use in a boardroom. It is the L word, love, to love. Um, and when I say love, I actually don't mean soft, mushy, uh, you know, sort of cuddly toy kind of love. Um, actually, if you look at this scripture, um, Corinthians 13, and I'm going to read it out because I want us to think about, imagine if this was the workplace, if this was the leadership style, a, a place where love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, and love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So, so that is, that is the, the dream. The reality is, and, and I'm sure you know a lot of the businesses that we work with, the people I speak to, the reality is that out there, work, the world of work, is not necessarily a, a very happy place. People are disillusioned. You know, it feels like it is a burden. It is a place that people, you know, one day when I'm done with this, or it's a means to an end, I will actually do what I'm really meant to do. Um, but I don't believe that that is God's design at all. I believe that work should be a place where we can play to our strengths, where we can fulfill our potential, where we can carve out our destiny. And, you know, when you look at the root word of work, it is the same root word as worship. Work should be love made visible. It should be a form of worship. That word is avodah in, in the Hebrew. But the struggle is real. <laughs> so I remember probably about 10 years ago now um, having a conversation, a one-on-one -on -one conversation we were doing an intervention with a coal mining company. Part of the, the process that we um, uh, undergo is we have one-on-one -on -one conversations. I was sitting with Ben, a coal miner, chatting to him and asking him about his views, how he saw work, how he saw the world. And we got to the part of the conversation where um, I said to him, so Ben, you know, what, what keeps you awake at night? What concerns you? What worries you? Now, usually when you ask people this, they say, job security, my salary, I want to get a bonus. Those are, those are the, the kinds of answers. He thought for a moment and then he said something that really uh, piqued my interest and curiosity. He said, I don't know how to get the people that I'm in charge of to do what I want them to do. That, that is leadership. Um, and I said to him, okay, so how do you do it now? So he said, well... No, no, I, I don't want to tell you. I don't, I don't want to tell you. So um, I said, don't worry, I, I'm not going to report you. He said, well, you know, I, I shout, I scream, I often swear at them. Um, and I said, you know, hopefully not sort of too sarcastically, how's that working out for you? He said, well, it doesn't work. And I said to him, why do you do it? And he said, because that is what my boss did, I know no other way. And you know, I just, I got into the car um, in Secunda, and I drove back the two, two and a half hours to Joburg, and I just thought the whole way, what is it that I could do in a tiny, small way to impact on this situation? 
Um, by the time I got back to Joburg, I, I had had the idea of writing my first book. Um, so, you know, and, and still, even now, you know, when I hear of people having um, inhumane experiences in the workplace, feeling destroyed. Mlumli last week spoke about, you know, when he took over that business, people were feeling crushed. I actually feel this like, I feel physically ill. Um, and I know that that is God breaking my heart with what breaks his. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, Dr. Samu, please expand on what you do, but most importantly for us, why are you doing it? Yeah, thank you, Bernard, for that, for that question. And a good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Hope, hopefully everyone is enjoying the summer, right? Yeah. I think, uh, you know, when you get to a point where you have to answer that question, it's, it's about purpose, it's about your priorities in life, it's about how you are partnering with God. So medically trained, if you are a doctor, you are trained and you think about solving problems. So if you have a conversation with me, often I'm like, you know, let's cut the chase. What is the real problem? Because somebody is going to die. So whether we are solving uh, accommodation problems in Johannesburg, that's a space that I'm in, it's about what is the real problem? The real problem is we are having such a high crime rate, etc. because people don't value themselves. There is no dignity in the spaces where they live. That's why I'm in the property business. I'm in the healthcare business because when you are ill, when you are sick, when you're not being productive, you're not going to grow an economy. So I'm in that space. So currently I lead uh, this global women's uh, health organization where I am creating in countries, in the minds of leaders, presidents, influencers, how do we actually advance humanity by making sure we bring women alongside? So my grandmother, bless her soul, she died at 97. She told me one thing when I used to ask her, why do you always stand up for the cause of women? And she said, because of her own experiences, she got married at 13, got married off, and the husband died, got married off again to my grandfather, who used to beat up women, etc. And my grandmother told me, because she left that marriage at 25 and never married again, She's, she was a woman who was resilient, right? She told me one thing, that in life, there are so many problems. There are many problems, and I always say to my teams, you're not going to boil an ocean, but you will boil your own kettle. Mm. And my grandmother said, choose one problem that you're going to solve. Beautiful. And if necessary, defend it with your mm. life. Otherwise, life is not worth living if all you are here for is to buy a car and have a house. Like, there is so much more that you can live for. And why I'm doing this is because, for me, it's a call to obedience that said, you know, cross the line, cast your nets into the deep, and you will see, partner with me, and you will see what I will do. So that's what I do for a living. I'm a doctor, yes. I lead Women's Health, a global organization. It's based in Washington, but I didn't move because I love the church. Mm -hmm. So I didn't move to the U.S., <laughs> and I'm still sticking it out in Johannesburg, at times discouraged, Bernard, because when you're in Hillbro, you're like, why am I in this poverty, this dirty mm. city? Mm. And I'm like, but I will partner with you, God, to do my own part Amen. in making sure that people Amen. live in dignity. So how powerful and beautiful is that? Um, so let's get to miracles. I'm going to put this question to you. So you must live a life where with your attitude of partnering with God, you must feel like you experience miracles all the time. Unpack that first. What is a miracle that you experience? How does it work? What, what do you have to bring to make it happen? You know, when we started this season of miracles, in my mind, I'm like, okay, first I had to define what a miracle is. Because often it's like a before, after, right? It was yellow, now it's green. It was water, now it's wine, right? That's the paradigm that we all grew up with, we all sort of uh, expect to experience when we are partnering with God. So it's kind of this spectacular. But in my life and in my experience, it's this walking in the supernatural, where you partner with the Holy Spirit and he tells you what to do. I gave some examples in the morning where, you know, I'm, I'm in Senegal, for example, and I'm like, 
there is so much that needs to be done here. But God, I don't know what to say when I get into that room. So I am in this holding room uh, of a meeting with the powers that be. And in this case, it was with the brotherhood, uh, uh, the Muslim brotherhood, right? What am I going to say to the Muslims, right? And I'm like, okay, what God, give me the wisdom. And for me, the miracle, number one, is the audience that I have. Then the miracle is what God says I should say in that meeting. So I was negotiating with the brotherhood that they go to Morocco and read the Quran in a different way that doesn't oppress women. So for me, it's like I'm not saying, you know what, you're going to change and uh, listen to what Jesus said, listen to what the Bible said, because that was not the wisdom there. The wisdom was they need to reinterpret the Quran because the Quran does have love and it talks differently about women. Or the president of Niger where there is a struggle about girls' education, women's health, and many other things, you know. Saints, if we think in South Africa we've got problems, there are many more problems in the world. Many more. And I think, South Africa, this is an encouragement that I have for everyone in the room, particularly those of you who are in nice, comfortable jobs. You don't want to step the line. You don't want to, your paneled house, it's fine. It's okay. I'm getting by. There is so much that South Africa geopolitically could do in the world to make this world a different place. And I think let's stop playing small. So when I was at the Niger, president, this is Niger, there's a country called Niger, by the way, <laughs> and in there, you know, uh, uh, the average age, the average timeline for a girl at school is about 2.4 years. After that, they remove them from school and they go and sell in the market if they are girls. And even men do not complete school. So I was saying, what are you going to do? How do we partner with you in this? And he wants, he wants to build schools. And I'm like, how are we going to do this? So we are crafting a plan on what needs to be done there. So for me, a miracle is get, in fact, I've got a, a picture, what is it, an art thing that I got from, from the president that I hang in my house. And the miracle is getting that audience. The miracle is how do I partner with him so that the girls in West Africa can have an education? Because that has got a profound effect in the miracles that we, we play. Lastly, I think over a few hundred years, the miracles that we have seen in science, in advancement of humanity, are not just the spectacular before, after. It's about you and I being obedient to understand how you could capture the structure of the DNA so that we can have a vaccine for a disease that previously in the olden days we needed a miracle, but now you can get something off the shelf and you can be healed. So for me, the miracles in the workplace is that obedience that we have when we partner with God mm. to do bigger, to do different, and it's incremental. Amen. Now, when you're on the uh, audience of uh, such wisdom, I have to ask you to explain to these engineers in the front row the concept of compounding. Because miracles like interest can compound. Just briefly, and then I'll come back to Trace. That's a fantastic one because I talk about miracles. As in, so you obey, you are in the arena. You spoke about Churchill, you know, one of his greatest speeches. is about the man in the arena, the man who chooses to play, to be in the playing field. And when you are there, you are starting something big. And what God does when he partners with you, and certainly he has with me, is that it initially adds up, but then it's to the power of. So these are, is it derivatives, Right. It's to the power of, it compounds, it's squared, it's to the power of four. And that is the miracle with, when you partner with God. And for me, I just, when you are playing, but when you are not in the room, when you are in the wet, not in the wedding in Kana, you will not experience that miracle. So saints need to actually come into the arena, wake up and fight a little bit more so that that power of compounding, the miracle that happens when you partner with God is what for me I tend to experience and I enjoy so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. <clears throat> so, Trace, in some ways that's almost that's good news. So we don't have to expect to change the world overnight. We need to step into the arena, play our but be part of, be part of a micro uh, miracle concept you use often. So perhaps share with us how, uh, how does these micro-miracles fit into, into your space? In your... Thank. <clears throat> Thanks. 
Okay, yeah, there we go. Um, so, yes, exactly as, uh, you know, Dr. Samuels very eloquently made the point. When I look back on, on my career journey, um, of course, you know, we're always looking for the sort of water to wine, spectacular miracles. In my context, that's your dream client phones you, wants to, you know, offer you hundred, hundreds of millions of dollars for you to do the work, you know. So, um, we, we believe, we believe for that. <laughs> we believe for that. That's not not going to happen. But quite often, it is in those moments when you are sort of walking with God and you are hearing God's voice urging you, nudging you. Um, sometimes you only realize the miraculous outcome many years later. So I, I often think, you know, you, to look forward, you have to look back. When you look back and you look at this chain of events, this miraculous chain of events and all the micro miracles, how that actually adds up, um, you can see God's fingerprints all over that. Um, so two, two little um, uh, stories I want to share with you. One is a little postscript to what I mentioned earlier about love. Now, you know, in the, the world that I operate in, this word, I mean, you couldn't even really say it out loud. You can say other unmentionable words quite easily in that context, but not the L word. Now, in the last two weeks, so this is a little micro miracle for me. In the last two weeks, two separate clients in the mining industry, I've had interactions with them, and each one of them spontaneously, without prompting, actually said, you know what, this work, you know, talking about our work, we were interacting about our work, is actually about love at the end of the day. You know, and it was just, it was amazing. You know, you just feel like there's God. He's, he is my partner. We're partnering, and he's right there, you know, with, with us. So... Um, this story that I want to share with you is, is probably one of my worst experiences in the workplace, but it was a miraculous one. So I was in my mid-twenties, it was many years ago, I was working in advertising, um, and I just landed my dream job with this incredible agency, South Africa's largest agency at the time, um, you know, and I remember when I went for the interview, I was blown away by just, you know, their the work in branding and storytelling, the corporate identity, the brochures on culture, you know, this is who we are, this is how we go about things. Um, and the other sort of uh, exciting thing about this was their chairman was kind of like the Steve Jobs figure in advertising. So, you know, maybe I'd even get a chance to interact with him, who knew? Um, so about a month into my, um, into my time there, uh, my media, I was working on an assignment, uh, doing a strategy review for one of their big clients, um, and my immediate boss said to me, you know what, um, I think it's a good idea if you actually set up time with the chairman, he's been involved with this client since the beginning, and just get his thoughts on, on this, you know, and, and I was thrilled, you know, here was my opportunity, and I like prepped, and you know, was all ready, and I remember walking into, into this beautiful corner office with a beautiful view, um, I was so hopeful and so expectant. Um, what happened? Well, <laughs> nothing good. <laughs> so this guy was started out really irritated with even like my presence, and then I sort of bumbled and stumbled my way through, you know, probably not very articulately what I w wanted to, you know, just get his views, and he actually lost his temper. He exploded. He flew into a rage. He threw me out of his office. And that cute little book about culture, like, you know, coming, coming shortly behind me. And I thought, you know, what did I do? Like, you know, what, what happened? And I found out later that this was, it was nothing personal. It was just a rite of passage. This is what this guy did to all the newbies to put them in their place. I was destroyed. I was disgusted. I was like, I'm out of there. I'm leaving. It's over. And then God's voice, urging and nudging. <laughs> and, you know, and very clearly saying, you need to stay here for a year, at least a year. I sort of like deleted the at least, but a year, okay? 365 days. And you have to learn as much as you can 
Just learn as much as you can from this. And you know, I, I did. I promise you, 365 days is very, very long. I gritted my teeth through, for, through every single one of them, but I learned so much. And much of what we use today in our consulting business is uh, stuff that I actually learned from that experience. So, you know, it's just when you look back, I see the miracle in that, that all things work for good. At the time, it felt like anything but a miracle. I want to challenge us. If you think you are called to be in the world of work, it's not heaven on earth. It's not perfect people. I recently sat with a, a minister on a Saturday morning, because that's when they want to meet, and I had the privilege of seeing how he coached a young CEO of a state-owned enterprise. And he said to this young person, you must learn how to make good and honest deals in a bad world with crooks. Now, I wish he didn't have to say that. I wish we lived in a world where that was not true. But I am very grateful for the guidance of if we are in a world and the people there are not Christians, not believers, we can only be responsible for what we contribute, what we do in that deal. And I thought it was wise counsel from a South African minister to a South African state-owned enterprise CEO. As we live in the world we live in, we should fix that, we should change that, but whilst we live in it, we can still be responsible and accountable. So I want to um, get back to perhaps a final round of questions. Um, I want us to continue to be practical. So can we share some tips? So how do we ensure that we are building God's house whilst we're building our own house career? Because, of course, we must be building God's house. But can I first make my fortune and then I will, you know? I mean, I hear that so often. When I sit with young Christians, I will just first make my, and then I'll have a trust and I'll have a charity. But I'm not sure God needs our million. So practically, talk to us. That's the hard one, right? That's the hard one about how are we, how we, we all, the question for many of us is, how am I going to balance this? But is that the right question? Because it's about how we set priorities in partnering with God and then how he changes the posture of our hearts such that we prioritize building his house. Because for me, I think uh, there are many things that I've made uh, conscious decisions around. For example, when I said, you know what, is there a, a role that I can play in the property business in South Africa to ensure that we do have better low-cost housing? So I made a conscious decision, metaphorically speaking, not to be buying many shoes. So that's why my shoes are not are very crass. So I say, don't buy shoes, buy buildings, right? And for me, that was a conscious decision to say, buy the buildings. Because, and, and when you do that, you are saying, I'm, not, I'm going to stop focusing on my own comfort. You know, there is in Nigeria, they always say, na enjoyment. You like, I just want to enjoy myself, right? We can't be in that phase of I want to enjoy because comfort is elusive. It's, it's an illusion. Like, what does it mean? Does, can you describe it and put it here? Often you can't because it always, the boundaries keep on shifting. So it's about us deciding that, no, no, no. How is this aligning with the bigger plan of God? And if it's not, I'm not going to get into it. And then as you do this, you see how God actually blesses you and helps you to build your house whilst you are building the bigger kingdom of God. And then the other challenge is we are in Johannesburg. You know, in Johannesburg, people are busy. People are rushing for the, balance, for the bottom line. People are doing this. We need to also get into a place where we are operating from rest. I'm a very busy person, very, very busy. I'm always traveling, I'm always out of the country, but I made a conscious decision that whatever I am doing, I'm operating from that world that we spoke about authority and access in Haggai, the signet ring, right? I'm operating from that space because then I'm operating from a place where I'm partnering with God. It's that rest mindset that you ought to have for you to start building the house. And also, 
measure, measure of success. How do we define from the word go, from 1 January when you are starting your prayer and fasting uh, for the year, when you are actually setting out in your career, how do you define how you are going to succeed? Because your measure of success, if it's another Range Rover, sorry. If it's another big empty house, sorry. How do you define that measure of success? Because our balance sheets are actually tipped in a different way when we are partnering with God. And lastly, Bernard, I know we don't have time, Pastor Sai. <laughs> the economy and how we define the economy of, of our own economy. Mm. We can't translate what the economy of Babylon needs to mean for us. So we need to redefine that. And when we redefine that, I think for me, practically speaking, is writing it down aligning with God and be bold and be mm. brave when you are crossing the line so that you then start mm. practically building the kingdom beautiful, of God. Beautiful, beautiful. Align with God, be bold and when you're in a place of comfort you're probably not out where you're supposed to be. That's beautiful. Trace, final comments from your side on let's get practical. Okay, so you know what actually just struck me now? Oh, we're not going to talk about shoes. Oh, <laughs> we could. We could. <laughs> no, when you said, you know, what is it that we must do? The, 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 the word came to me, do a lot. And that is an acronym for listen, obey, and trust. So about a year ago, um, I got a, a call from a lady in this church that's in the prophetic ministry, um, who I hadn't spoken to for about four years. Um, so this was truly out of the blue. And she said, I've got a word for you. And, it, and then you're like, yay, you know, what is it? And she said, it's about thinkspiration, yay. And it's about your business model, huh? And, you know, I thought about this for a while and I thought, business model, and I sort of thought maybe our methodology, but right at that moment, my book was at the printer, and I'd sort of laid out our methodology in, like, you know, graphic detail. I thought, please let, let it not be, not, you know, that's changing. But in conversation, in prayer, exploring this, what started to come out was that I had actually gone quite off track. I had actually started thinking about my own house, I was chasing the bottom line for Thinkspiration. I was chasing growth. I was chasing turnover. And I wasn't doing it very well, actually. Um, and, you know, as we sort of explored this, um, in, in many conversations, lots of prayer, um, unfortunately, I realized God, well, to me, doesn't speak in full sentences. It's kind of like foggy, and then it gets clearer and clearer and clearer. The word that kept coming out was influence influence. That is my purpose. His purpose for me is influence. It is not about building a huge business with a huge turnover. So, you know, and I can't tell you the feeling, what this did to me, it was like a huge release. It was a huge weight off my shoulders. Um, you know, I had been, I had been, and I'm not very proud of this, I had been focusing, I sort of wouldn't, like, I thought, waste my time with activities that were not, like, going to lead to potentially you know, a value to the bottom line. And I started changing my behavior and just focusing on interaction, spending time with people to pursue God's purpose, to build his house, to influence. And of course, when you trust um, and partner with God, the, the bottom line takes care of itself. So... Uh this book of Haggai that you're going to find in the Bible, read it when you've got time because it's going to take you right through the Old Testament. Um, very interestingly, because what I like is when you really pause in the scripture and you find how is this applicable to us. So here's a group of people who had ignored the instruction from God. Huh? He told them to rebuild the temple 18 years earlier. They told themselves it was not the right time to do. They had good reasons. But they were busy building their own careers, their own houses. I'm not saying that's you. I often know it's me. So the message to us is clear. We should be building God's temple. If we do that, if we obey, 
We get the blessing before we're done. God did not wait until the temple was done. God blessed Zerubbabel when he obeyed. Thank you very much. Thank you. Whilst Pastor Sai is coming up, this book is available at the back. Trace will sign it. The Swanables don't need uh, the money for, uh, what is it that we get? Nando's for lunchtime. The reason I think you should pay a few rands is it will go to the church. If something is for free, it's not worth a lot. So, I mean, probably if you pay 150 rand for a book, that's 450 rand. It's an exclusive book, but it's at the back available if you are interested. Thank you. Thank you so much. Shall we all stand and let's give our panelists one more round of applause. Thank you, guys. So appreciate it. A better round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and thanks to Trace for the books and uh, being a blessing to the church. Really appreciate it. Um, in the first service, we prayed for people who um, may be going through challenges at work. And as you were listening to the stories this morning, hope you were inspired, hope you were encouraged, hope you were challenged. The ministry team will be available after the service to pray for you if you maybe are facing some battles and challenges in the marketplace. We're going to trust God with you. Uh, next week, we start a sermon series called The Gospel According to Leviticus. So we're turning from Haggai all the way back to Leviticus. So we are camping in the Old Testament. It's going to be fun. But it's amazing because I believe that this was a nice setup. We're going to talk a little bit about the house of the Lord. What does it mean to have a house, a heart for the house of the Lord? Uh, because uh, the kids' church workers are screaming at me right now because we're going over time. I just want to do two quick announcements and I'll pray for us. One is uh, we have a hiking club here at Every Nation Rosebank. It's been going for two years, so you may want to take a picture of this. If you want to join them this coming Saturday, uh, 11th of March, 8 a.m., Modern Fontaine. Normally it's once a month. We hike somewhere around Johannesburg, even outside Johannesburg. Uh, I will be at this hike, but I must tell you up front, this is not your time for you to bring all your complaints to me. It's a time for fellowship. You can send me an email on that. Let's raise our hands as a sign of receiving from the Lord as I do this benediction. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. With the blessing that you've received, go and bless others. So before you go, please bless someone. Don't rush. Greet the people. But if you have children upstairs, get them first and then come down and fellowship. God bless you. Have a great, great week.